Well, if you'll join me tonight in your Bible to Galatians chapter 5, if you would do that, Galatians chapter 5, and we will continue our study in the book of Galatians, and uh, I hope that you are learning something. Uh, Galatians and Romans are uh, books that tend toward doctrine, and uh, I am glad that I am not matured to the state where that I'm ashamed of doctrine. Let me give you uh, something that I read today about any ministry, whether it's a church or or part of ministry, whatever it is. The statement was made that after three generations, the ministry has so digressed in doctrine and in separation and in sanctification that unless it has a real revival, it will die. Every ministry, every church, if you go back and check the history of those churches, when it was started, it was started out of conviction, deep-seated Bible, Holy Ghost convictions. People willing to sacrifice beyond all measure to build buildings, to soul win, to work buses, to teach classes, to sing in choirs, to do anything that God needed done. That first generation of Christians served God out of conviction. A deep-seated, God-loving, Bible-loving, sinner-loving convictions. They would not change their doctrine. They would not change their philosophy. They would not change... That first generation was a generation of convictions. The second generation, they say, was a generation of belief, head knowledge. Could could quote chapter and verse. Knows where to sit in church. Rejoices over the blessings of God. But their conviction had turned to belief. The third generation is the generation of opinion. They've heard it. They probably haven't seen it live by the second generation bunch. And now instead of conviction, they have an opinion. And if all you have is an opinion, compromise is the next thing, and it's very easy to do so. And it loses its distinctiveness, non-denominational, motorcycle churches, fishermen churches, cowboy churches, anything goes. Because they do not have convictions. They have opinions. 
Paul is writing to a church or to churches in Galatia. And if Paul does not write, more than likely they will give in to the opinions of those folks from up at Jerusalem. Look at verse 31 of chapter 4, the last word. Free. Free. What does that word mean to you? What do you think after the Civil War it meant for the black folk? No more whip. No more breeding programs. Free. What do you think it meant for Moses, two and a half million slaves as they left Egypt? With a high hand and wealth beyond measure. What do you think it meant to that bunch of Jews that had been slaves for 430 years? Free. That word don't mean much to us. Because we've never been slaves. We think See, there's some folks tonight are really slaves to sin. They're just not slaves. They're addicted to sin. They'd like to quit, but they can't quit. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some folks are in slavery. In a thing called marriage. Some folks are in in slavery to a thing called a job. They hate their job. They need their job. They need the money. But they are slaves to a job. They hate to go to work. They don't like their boss. They don't like what they're getting paid. They just. I wonder tonight, what does that word free mean to us? Some teenagers can't wait till they get free from parents until the first month's bills come in. And then they're not so free. Amen. Uh, If I could just get out of this house. Them telling me what to do and what not to do and where to go and where not to go. I'm a slave to my parents. I want to be free. That word free consummates an allegory that we studied last week. An allegory about a man by the name of Abraham that had a wife. And a woman. Two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Two mountains, Sinai and Zion. Two cities, Jerusalem that be and the one is to come. 
Two sons, one of the flesh, one of promise. And it says that we who are saved are not the offspring or the children of the bondwoman that was in bondage, but of the free. And he says, So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now notice verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of the righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Notice now, get the jest. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you, though, the Lord through the Lord, that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. Now I would they were even cut off which trouble you. You know what Paul says? Those folks is teaching you false doctrine. I wish God would just cut them off. Glad he didn't say I'm praying that God would kill you. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Could we leave off reading there just a minute and let me talk to you tonight about the law of liberty. The law of liberty. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is a difference. In the Old Testament, you find rules and regulations. Don't, don't, do, can't, no, yes, it's okay. In the Old Testament, rules and regulations. And that is legalism. In the New Testament, it gives us principles to live by. And that is liberty. You got that? Liberty versus legalism. Now notice, that's what this is all about tonight. Liberty versus legalism. Faith 
versus grace. Works and law. That's all it is. And all through the book of Galatians, Paul is trying to tell these churches in the area of Galatia, you need to be careful. You did run well. Who did hinder you? I marvel that you are so soon removed from the faith. I am overwhelmed, he said. Notice, if you would please, verses 1 through 6. And we'll notice the foundation of our liberty. Now tonight, I have liberty in Christ. I am free from my sins, not free to sin. You get that? I have liberty tonight. I am free from my sins. I am not free to live in sin. See, now that's a difference. There's a difference in in conviction and opinions. When I read the book, I think it says what it means. If I just have an opinion about it, then it says what I want it to say. And so Paul is talking about liberty versus regulations and, uh, and law. He says now, stand fast, he says, the foundation. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty which Christ hath made us free. My liberty, my freedom is in Christ, not in me. Christ has made me free. I have not been made free. He that hath the Son shall be free, and he shall be free indeed. Is that not so? Now, I'm free tonight from my past. I'm free tonight from the judgment of sin. I'm free tonight from the power of sin. And one of these days, when I get my glorified body, I'll be free from the very presence of sin. What does the word free mean? mean to you tonight? Well, I'm free to drink or I'm free to run or I'm free to... No, no, that's not it. That's not the liberty that God gives you. That's the flesh. Notice, stand fast in the liberty wherein Christ hath made us free. Notice the liberty attested in verse number one. He said, Christ has made us free. My freedom then cost somebody a tremendous price. The Bible said, I am bought, you remember that, with a price. I am not my own. Is that not so? Glorify God, therefore, in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I am free tonight, but I'm free not because of what I've done, but because of what somebody else has done. I'm free tonight. Uh, Thank God, I don't have to sin like I used to. Now, I don't understand anybody getting drunk more than once. One hangover would be enough for me. Uh, I mean, I I tell you, hangovers are fun, buddy. I mean, you ever had your dry heaves? Have you ever fell in love with a commode and just caressed it and... Hugged it and spoke to it in tongues. You ever done that? Ain't that a lot of fun? Ain't that a lot of fun? Thank God I don't have to do that anymore. Thank God I just don't have to go there anymore. 
Thank God. I don't have to, I don't have that mindset that where if somebody says something to me, I don't have to get my clothes all tore up and my eyes knocked cross-eyed, two teeth gone. Thank God I can just walk away. Uh, Has anybody made you free? What does free mean to you? Well, whatever it is, Paul said, stand fast in it. Unmovable. Don't let anybody shake it. Don't let anybody come down the pike, knock on your door, riding on swim bicycles, and shake your faith. Stand fast. He said, here is the, the, the foundation, the liberty attested. You are not the property of your own. You belong to Jesus Christ. And he says, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. Now notice, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You ever seen two oxen yoked together? I mean, they're not going to get out of that yoke till the guy takes it off and feeds them. They can get bullheaded and not want to pull, and they just take that little old stick and prick them along, you know. That's what the world does to a lot of folks. It yokes them all up and won't turn them loose, and sin nails them and addicts them, and pretty soon they just absolutely are burnt for the cause of Christ. And as productive citizens, they're just yoked up with this world. Isn't it amazing that Christians get set free just to get in bondage to something else. Like ball games, athletics, the lake. Well, preacher, we had preaching down at the lake. How many missionaries did you support? Did you tie it down to the lake? I said, yeah, I bought gas with it. Isn't it amazing? New Christians get set free. And some other Christian who's been saved a long time. And now they're moss-backed. Doing their own thing. Don't care what God says. And comes along And gets them in bondage to flesh and to the world. Isn't it amazing? Paul says, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. And be not entangled again with what? A yoke of bondage. Anybody still love me? That's liberty attested. Thank God I'm free tonight. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I have the freedom to drink all the beer I want. And it would not make me go to hell. And God would not be any more displeased with me. I have liberty to do that. I just don't want to. I've ran, around, I ran around, I've ran around with all the women I wanted to since I got saved. I just ain't wanted to. 
Hey, what's your folk looking at? says, don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Huh? No, I I don't want... Notice, in verses 2 and 3, Paul talks about our liberty being attacked. Notice in verse number 2, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you. I wonder why he said, I, Paul. Paul said, I, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. I, Paul, the cat that won you to the Lord. I, Paul, who jeopardized, jeopardized my life to come to you to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. I, Paul, who left my home to come to your home to get you ready for a new home. I, Paul, who love you enough to do what I've done. I, Paul, not just anybody, not just another speaker, not just another TV evangelist wants another offering, not just some preacher. I, Paul, the fellow who loved you, the fellow who gave his life to come to get you saved. I, Paul, say unto you. You think that makes any difference? I, Paul. That if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Circumcision. Circumcision was introduced to Abraham. It was a seal of the Abrahamic covenant. Circumcision incorporated in the law by Moses. Circumcision, the identifying mark of Judaism. Do you know there was many, many more women who became Jewish and are Jewish proselytes than there were men? Guess why? There wasn't too many Gentile men eager to become a Jewish proselyte. Paul is writing to a church or churches and members in those churches that had made a profession of faith in Christ and had been baptized. Now, let me read you something, if you would, please. Galatians 4 and verse 8 to kind of bring you up to date. Galatians 4 and verse number 8. How be it then... When you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. That's rank heathenism. These Galatians were searched, these Gauls were, were saved out of rank heathenism. They were idolaters. They were heathen worshipers. But now after that you have known God. Or rather are known of God. How turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements. Whereunto you desire again to be in bondage. 
He observed days and months and times and years and Sabbath days. And now some of you are even daring to be circumcised. I marvel, Paul said, that you are so soon removed. You did run well, but who did hinder you? Here is churches that is being indoctrinated by Jewish evangelists from up at Jerusalem who is teaching that you got to be circumcised to be saved. Now you do know that the Christians were called, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And they were called Christians until about the first generation, till the first 100 years. Now, what if some of these folks here that believe you had to be circumcised to be saved, they couldn't stay in the same church. I'd have kicked them out of this one. You say you wouldn't. Yes, I would in a New York minute. I think doctrine needs to be disciplined just as bad as morals. And people who are afraid of doctrine, they need to get their head out of the sand. This book has only one meaning, not 10,000. And what about these folks that believe you've got to be circumcised to be saved? Probably what they did is started a new church called the First Church of the Circumcision. Then another group come along and said, well, since baptism is mentioned so many times in the word of God, surely it must be necessary to be baptized. And they started preaching baptismal regeneration. And do it as early as you can. Since baptism has some saving merit, we need to do it as infants. And then a hundred years ago, the Church of Christ Alexander Campbell got the idea that baptism helped save you. So now we got the church that Jesus started and we got the church of the first church of the circumcision. Now we got the first church of the baptism. Then we got folks don't believe anything that we got non-denominationalists. Why is names important? Why do they call a skunk a skunk? Because it stinks. It identifies. Boy, it gets real quiet sometimes when I do this. But the Judaizers are not doing anything that the Church of Christ does not do. Anytime you add anything to faith, anytime you add anything to the gospel, you've got too much gospel. Who would ever dare to think that that thief didn't make it to paradise? He hadn't been baptized or circumcised. But Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Let me tell you something. It's not what you do that counts. It's what he did 
that counts. And your faith in what he did that counts. You got that? So we read on. The Bible said, now I, Paul, send you. Talking about circumcision now, and I don't need to describe it, I'm sure. But if you choose to be circumcised, that puts you under the law. And that means you've got to keep all 613 of them that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. And if you break one, you're guilty of all. And if you choose to go back under Judaism and take the outward sign of Judaism, then Christ has profited you nothing. That's what he said. Anytime you add anything to what Christ has done, it profiteth you nothing. Verse 3. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. No more catfish. No more bacon and eggs. No more ball games on Saturday. Got to do them all. Got to do them all. All of them. Verse 4. For though, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by what? By faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. You got that? That's pretty good, don't you think? Now I want you to know tonight, listen to me. Don't you think the devil is not going to attack anybody who believes and stands for the word of God? And if he can't do it in the first generation... He'll do it in the second generation of Christians. You say, now preacher, you don't know what you're talking about. Visit the young preachers that has gone out from this ministry. Visit their churches. It will embarrass you at the singing. It will embarrass you as they partake in the emerging church. Because you can't build a church the old-fashioned way like we've been doing it for 20-some years. That won't work. So what we've got to do is take away the distinctives, push this separation to the side, and become seeker-friendly pacify the puny instead of please the Lord and ask brother Brian anytime one of our staff goes to a meeting and they apologize before the singing starts I got a problem with that if if I'm right I don't have to apologize Well, I thought we'd just have a good time. Notice the foundation of our liberty. Secondly, the foes 
of our liberty, the foes. Notice verse 7 through 9, their doctrine revealed. Verse 7, ye did run well, who did hinder you from that you should not obey the truth. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Their doctrine revealed. Notice how it spoils. You did run well. Notice how their doctrine spoils. You did run well. I was talking to an independent Baptist church member the other day. And I said, well, I got to go. I've got to go soul win. He said, oh, we soul win. I said, when? He said, Tuesday night once a month. Tuesday night once a month. You did run well. Tuesday night once a month is the only time people are lost. Come on, say amen, somebody. Tuesday night, once a month, what? Dear God, what do you expect for nothing? That's what I'm getting. If I'm only getting Tuesday night, once a month. I thought we went everywhere. All the time. Talking about Christ. You did run well. He said, notice how it spoils. You did run well. Notice who did, not what did hinder you. Who did hinder you? I wonder how many young Christians has been ruined by home Bible classes. Being taught by somebody don't know what they're saying. Reading somebody else's material they don't know anything about. I wonder how many folks have stopped running. Because if they can have church at home, why should they come to church here? You did run well. I, I, their doctrine, it spoils. Notice verse 9, how it spreads. Notice how, notice how bad, bad teaching spreads. A little leaven. Leaven is the whole lump. How much yeast does it take? In a loaf of bread. It spreads quickly. I've heard I don't know this. To be a fact. Because I've never made a whole lot. For anything to ferment. It has to be taken out of its natural environment. And and human hands have to do something to make it ferment. Leave the juice in its natural habitat and it'll ruin, it'll rot. But it won't ferment. A little leaven. Preacher, why do you deal with sin in your church? Why do you practice church discipline? Are you holy in thou? No, I just know it don't take long for sin to take over. Just a small amount of yeast in the huge 
loaf of bread. And over time, left out, the whole lump will be full and it'll rise. Does yeast cause bread to rise? Some of you ladies tell me. Does it? If it can be flattened, I can flatten it. I'll guarantee that. (laughs) Now, once you've got yeast in the bread and it starts rising, you know how the only way you can stop it? Heat. Put it in the stove, heat it, it'll stop. You know what will stop sin in the church? Hot preaching. Amen. Amen. 30,000 foot sermon. And I don't apologize for that. Listen, it's got to be dealt with. And somebody says, well, you embarrass folk. Well, they embarrass me when I have to preach to that. You know, why would anybody put me in that kind of predicament? Why don't you just respect the stand that I take and not do those things? That way you don't have to put me in that kind of predicament. I don't like cutting heads off. I don't like throwing potatoes at everybody. I don't like that. I like talking about heaven. Coon hunting. Spiritual stuff. Please. It spoils and it spreads. I must close. Notice their doctrine is revealed, those Judaizers, but their doom also is revealed. Notice Paul says in verse 10 and 11, he said, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you'll be none otherwise minded. Now, we teach, we preach. We have discipleship. This book is always open when we preach and we teach. For 27 years, we've taught this book. Probably just about every book in the Bible we've taught. I have confidence in you that somebody won't come by and confuse you doctrinally. We have discipleship, do we not, Jim? Available to anybody who wants to take it. 16, 17, 18 weeks of in-depth Bible study. And you'll know what you believe. I have confidence in you, Paul said. That after these dirty birds have done their due. You're going to stand straight and they're going to be judged for it. And he said, I would to God that God just cut them off. Just like, I never prayed, dear God, kill somebody. I close with this, the frontiers of our liberty. Verse 13 through 15 talks about we're called to liberty. We're called to liberty. Notice that? We're called to liberty. But now let me share this with you. We are free, but we're not free to indulge in carnality. Notice verse 13, it says this. For brethren, you have been called to liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. See, now, I'm at liberty to do anything that I want to. I have the liberty. I won't go to hell regardless of what I do. But my liberty 
is not given to me that I might indulge in the flesh. Amen. And neither is yours. Amen. And we are called, notice not only, and we are not free to indulge in conflict. Verse 14, 15, and we're done. Verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. If you love the Lord, you'll have no other gods before him. If you love the Lord, you'll not have to worry about desecrating the Lord's day. If you love the Lord and your neighbor, you'll not be coveting his wife. If you love God, you will not be lying to get what you want. If you love God, you'll not be covetous. If you love God and you love your neighbor, that takes care of all the law. All ten of them. Can you say amen? amen? And so he closed it with this. If you want to keep the commandments, why don't you just love your neighbor?